CD4 A cry rang through the woods. It seemed to have many components, but mostly it sounded as though a turkey was being throttled at the other end of a tin tube. Oh, and what the heck was that? shouted Oates. Agnes looked around, bewildered. She'd grown up in the Lancre woods. Oh, you got strange things sometimes passing through, but generally they contained nothing more dangerous than other people. Now, in this tarnished light, even the trees were starting to look suspicious. Let's at least get down to Badass, she said, tugging at Oates's hand. You what? Agnes sighed. It's the nearest village. Bad? Ass? Look, there was a donkey and it stopped in the middle of the river and it wouldn't go backwards or forwards, said Agnes, as patiently as possible. Lankra people got used to explaining this. Bad ass, see? Yes, I know that disobedient donkey might have been more acceptable, but... The horrible cry echoed around the woods again. Agnes thought of all the things that were rumoured to be in the mountains and dragged Oates after her like a badly hitched cart. Then the sound was right in front of them, and at a turn in the lane a head emerged from a bush. Agnes had seen pictures of an ostrich. So, start with one of them, but make the head and neck in violent yellow and give the head a huge ruff of red and purple feathers and two big round eyes, the pupils of which jiggled drunkenly as the head moved back and forth. "'Is that some sort of local chicken?' warbled Oates. "'I doubt it,' said Agnes. One of the long feathers had a tartan pattern. The cry started again, but was strangled halfway through when Agnes stepped forward, grabbing the thing's neck and pulled. A figure rose from the undergrowth, dragged up by his arm. "'Hodgezog?' he quacked at her. "'Take that thing out of your mouth,' said Agnes. "'You sound like Mr Punch.' He removed the whistle. Sorry, Miss Knit. Hodges asked, why, and I realise I might not like the answer, why are you hiding in the woods with your arm dressed up like Hetty the Hen and making horrible noises through a tube? Trying to lure the phoenix, Miss. The phoenix? That's a mythical bird, Hodges asked. That's right, Miss. There's one in Larker, Miss. It's very young, Miss, so I thought I might be able to attract it. She looked at the brightly coloured glove. Oh, yes, if you raised chicks, you had to let them know what kind of bird they were, so you used a sort of glove puppet, but... Hodges Arg? Yes, miss. I'm not an expert, of course, but I seem to recall that according to the commonly accepted legend of the phoenix, it would never see its parent. You can only have one phoenix at a time. It's automatically an orphan, you see. Um, may I add something, said Oates. Miss Knit is right. I have to say, uh, the phoenix builds a nest and bursts into flames and the new bird arises from the ashes. I've read that. Uh, anyway, it's, a, it's an allegory. Hodges Arg looked at the puppet phoenix on his arm and then looked bashfully at his feet. Sorry about that, miss. So, you see, a phoenix can never see another phoenix, said Agnes. Uh, wouldn't know about that, miss, said Hodges Arg, still staring at his boots. An idea struck Agnes. Hodges Arg was always out of doors. Hodges Arg? Yes, miss. Have you been out in the woods all morning? Oh, yes, miss. Have you seen Granny Weatherwax? Yes, miss. You have? Yes, miss. Where? Up in the woods over towards the border, miss. At first light, miss. Why didn't you tell me? Er, uh, did you want to know, miss? Oh, yes, sorry. What were you doing up there? 
Hodges Arg blew a couple of quacks on his phoenix lure by way of explanation. Agnes grabbed the priest again. Come on, let's get to the road and find Nanny. Hodges Arg was left with his glove puppet and his lure and his knapsack and a deeply awkward feeling. He'd been brought up to respect witches, and Miss Nitt was a witch. The man with her hadn't been a witch, but his manner fitted him into that class of people Hodges Arg mentally pigeonholed as my betters, although in truth this was quite a large category. He wasn't about to disagree with his betters. Hodges Arg was a one-man feudal system. On the other hand, he thought, as he packed up and prepared to move on, books that were all about the world tended to be written by people who knew all about books rather than all about the world. All that stuff about birds hatching from ashes must have been written by someone who didn't know anything about birds. As for there only ever being one phoenix, well, that had obviously been written down by a man who ought to get out in the fresh air more and meet some ladies. Birds came from eggs. Oh, the phoenix was one of those creatures that had learned to use magic, had built it right into its very existence. But magic was tricky stuff, and nothing used any more of it than it needed to. So there'd be an egg, definitely. And eggs needed warmth, didn't they? Hodges Arg had been thinking about this a lot during the morning, as he tramped through damp bushes, making the acquaintance of several disappointed ducks. He'd never bothered much about history, except the history of falconry, but he did know that there were once places, and in some cases still were, with a very high level of background magic, which made them rather exciting and not a good place to raise your young. Maybe the phoenix, whatever it really looked like, was simply a bird who'd worked out a way of making incubation work very, very fast. Hodges Arg had actually got quite a long way, and if he'd had a bit more time, he'd have worked out the next step, too. It was well afternoon before Granny Weatherwax came off the moor, and a watcher might have wondered why it took such a long time to cross a little patch of moorland. They'd have wondered even more about the little stream. It had cut a rock-studded groove in the peat that a healthy woman could have leapt across, but someone had placed a broad stone across it for a bridge. She looked at it for a while and then reached into her sack. She took out a long piece of black material and blindfolded herself. Then she walked out across the stone, taking tiny steps with her arms flung out wide for balance. Halfway across, she fell onto her hands and knees and stayed there, panting for several minutes. Then she crawled forward again by inches. A few feet below, the peaty stream rattled happily over the stones. The sky glinted. It was a sky with blue patches and bits of cloud, but it had a strange look, as though a picture painted on glass had been fractured and then the shards reassembled wrongly. A drifting cloud disappeared against some invisible line and began to emerge in another part of the sky altogether. Things were not what they seemed, but then, as Granny always said, they never were. Agnes practically had to pull oats into Nanny Og's house, which was in fact so far away from the concept of a witch's cottage that it, as it were, approached it from the other side. It tended towards jolly, clashing colours rather than black and smelled of polish. There were no skulls or strange candles, apart from the pink novelty one that Nanny had once bought in Pork and only brought out to show to guests with the right sense of humour. There were lots of tables, mainly in order to display the vast number of drawings and iconographs of the huge Og clan. At first sight, these looked randomly placed until you worked out the code. In reality, pictures were advanced or retarded around the room as various family members temporarily fell in or out of favour, and anyone ending up on the small wobbly table near the cat's bowl had some serious spade work to do. 
What made it worse was that you could fall down the pecking order not because you'd done something bad, but because everyone else had done something better. This was why what space wasn't taken up with family pictures was occupied by ornaments, because no og who travelled more than ten miles from Ark Moorpork would dream of returning without a present. The ogs loved Nanny Og, and, well, there were even worse places than the wobbly table. A distant cousin had once ended up in the hall. Many of the ornaments were cheap jack stuff brought from fairs, but Nanny Og never minded, provided they were colourful and shiny. So there were a lot of cross-eyed dogs, pink shepherdesses, and mugs with badly spelled slogans like To the world's best mum, and we luove our nanny. A huge gilded china beer steen that played Ich bin ein Rattersedschwein from the student horse was locked in a glass-fronted cabinet as a treasure too great for common display and had earned Sherl Og's picture a permanent place on the dresser. Nanny Og had already cleared a space on the table for the green ball. She looked up sharply when Agnes entered. You were a long time. Been dallying, she said in an armour-piercing voice. Nanny... "'Granny would have said that,' said Agnes reproachfully. "'Nanny shivered. "'You're right, girl,' she said. "'Let's find her quickly, eh? "'I'm too cheerful to be a crone.' "'There's odd creatures everywhere,' said Agnes. "'There's loads of centaurs. "'We had to dive into the ditch.' "'Ah, I did notice you'd got grass and leaves on your dress,' said Nanny, "'but I was too polite to mention it. "'Where are they all coming from? "'Down out of the mountains, I suppose.' Why did you bring Soapy Sam back with you? Because he's covered in mud, Nanny, said Agnes sharply, and I said he could have a wash down here. Er, uh, is this really a witch's cottage? said Oates, staring at the assembled ranks of augury. Oh, dear, said Nanny. Pastor Melchio said they are sinks of depravity and sexual excess. The young man took a nervous step backwards, knocking against a small table and causing a blue clockwork ballerina to begin a jerky pirouette to the tune of Three Blind Mice. "'Well, we've got a sink all right,' said Nanny. "'What's your best offer?' "'I suppose we should be grateful that was a Nanny Og comment,' said Agnes. "'Don't wind him up, Nanny. It's been a busy morning.' "'Er, uh, which way's the uh, pump?' said Oates. Agnes pointed. He hurried out gratefully. "'Wetter than a thunderstorm sandwich,' said Nanny, shaking her head. "'Granny was seen up above the long lake,' said Agnes, sitting down at the table. Nanny looked up sharply. "'On that bit of moor?' she said. "'Yes, that's bad. That's gnarly country up there.' "'Gnarly? All scrunched up. What? I've been up there. It's just heather and gorse, and there's a few old caves at the end of the valley.' "'Oh, really? Looked up at the clouds, did you? Oh, well.' Let's have a go. When Oates came back, scrubbed and shining, they were arguing. They looked rather embarrassed when they saw him. I said it'd need three of us, said Nanny, pushing the glass ball aside, especially if she's up there. Gnarly ground plays merry hell with scrying. We just ain't got the power. I don't want to go back to the castle. Magrat's good at this sort of thing. She's got a little baby to look after, Nanny. "'Yeah, in a castle full of vampires. Think about that. "'No knowing when they'll get hungry again. "'Better for them both to be out of it. "'But you get her out now. "'I'd come myself, but you said I'd just sit there grinning.' "'Agnes suddenly pointed a finger at Oates. "'You? Er, uh, me?' 
he quavered. You said you could see there were vampires, didn't you? I did? You did? That's right. I did. Um, um, and? You didn't find your mind becoming all pink and happy? I don't think my mind has ever been pink and happy, said Oates. So why didn't they get through to you? Oates smiled uneasily and fished in his jacket. I am protected by the hand of Om, he said. Nanny inspected the pendant. It showed a figure trussed across the back of a turtle. You say, she said, that's a good wheeze then. Just as Om um, reached out his hand to save the prophet Bruther from the torture, so will he spread his wings over me in my time of trial, said Oates. But he sounded as though he was trying to reassure himself rather than Nanny. He went on. I've got a pamphlet if you would like to know more. And this time the tone was much more positive, as if the existence of Om was a little uncertain, whereas the existence of pamphlets was obvious to any open-minded, rational-thinking person. Don't, said Nanny. She let the medallion go. Well, Brother Perdori never needed any magic jewellery for fighting off people, that's all I can say. No, he just used to breathe alcohol all over them, said Agnes. Well, you're coming with me, Mr Oates. I'm not facing Prince Slime again alone, and you can shut up. Um, I didn't say anything. I didn't mean you. I meant... Look, you said you've studied vampires, didn't you? What's good for vampires? Oates thought for a minute. Um, a nice dry coffin, uh, plenty of fresh blood, uh, overcast skies. His voice trailed off when he saw her expression. Ah, well, it depends exactly where they're from, I remember. Uberwald is a very big place. Uh, cutting off the head and staking them in the heart is generally efficacious. But that works on everyone, said Nanny. Uh, in splints they die if you put a coin in their mouth and cut their head off. Not like ordinary people, then, said Nanny, taking out a notebook. Um, in clots they die if you stick a lemon in their mouth. Sounds more like it, after you've cut their head off. I believe that in glitz um, you have to fill their mouth with salt, hammer a carrot into both ears and then cut off their head. I can see it must have been fun finding that out. And in the valley of the Ah, uh, they believe it's best to cut off the head and boil it in vinegar. You're going to need someone to carry all this stuff, Agnes, said Nanny Og. But in Kashankari, they say you should cut off their toes and drive a nail through their neck. And cut their head off? Apparently, um, you don't have to. Toes is easy, said Nanny. Old Windrow over in Badass cut off two of his with a spade and he weren't even trying. And then, of course, you can defeat them by stealing their left sock said Oates. Sorry, said Agnes. I think I misheard you there. Um, they're pathologically meticulous, you see. Some of the gypsy tribes in Borogravia say that if you steal their sock and hide it somewhere, they'll spend the rest of eternity looking for it. They can't abide things to uh, be out of place or uh, missing. I wouldn't have put this down as a very widespread belief, said Nanny. Oh, they say in some villages that you can even slow them down by throwing poppy seed at them, said Oates. Then they'll have a terrible urge to count every seed. Vampires are very anal retentive, you see. I shouldn't like meeting one that was the opposite, said Nanny. 
Yes, well, I don't think we're going to have time to ask the Count for his precise address, said Agnes quickly. We're going to go in, fetch Magret, and get back here, all right? Why are you such a vampire expert, Oates? I told you, I uh, studied this sort of thing at college. We have to know the enemy if we're to combat evil forces. Vampires, demons, witches... He stopped. Do go on, said Nanny Og, as sweet as arsenic. But with witches, <clears throat> I'm just supposed to show them the error of their ways. Oates coughed nervously. That's something to look forward to, then, said Nanny. What with me not having my fireproof corsets on. Off you go, then, all three of you. There's three of us, said Oates. Agnes felt her left arm tremble. Against every effort of will, her wrist bent, her palm curled up, and she felt two fingers straining to unfold. Only Nanny Og noticed. Like having your own chaperone all the time, ain't it? she said. What was she talking about? said Oates as they headed for the castle. Her mind's wandering, said Agnes loudly. There were covered ox carts rumbling up the street to the castle. Agnes and Oates stood to one side and watched them. The drivers didn't seem interested in the bystanders. They wore drab, ill-fitting clothing, but an unusual touch was the scarf each one had wrapped around his neck so tightly that it might have been a bandage. Either there's a plague of sore throats in Uberwald, or there will be nasty little puncture wounds under those, I'll bet, said Agnes. Er, uh, I do know a bit about the way they're supposed to control people, said Oates. Yes? It sounds silly, but it was in an old book. Well, they find single-minded people easier to control. Single-minded, said Agnes, suspiciously. More carts rolled past. It doesn't sound right, um, I know. You'd think strong-minded people would be harder to affect. I suppose a big target is easier to hit. In some of the uh, uh, villages, apparently, vampire hunters get roaring drunk first. Protection, you see. You can't punch fog. So we're fog, said Perdita. So's he, by the look of him. Agnes shrugged. There was a certain bucolic look to the faces of the cart drivers. Of course, you got that in Lancre too, but in Lancre it was overlaid by a mixture of guile, common sense and stubborn rock-headedness. Here, the eyes behind the faces had a switched-off look. Like cattle, said Perdita. Yes, said Agnes. Pardon, said Oates. Just thinking aloud. And she thought of the way one man could so easily control a herd of cows, any one of which could have left him as a small, damp depression in the ground had it wanted to. Somehow, they never got around to thinking about it. Supposing they are better than us, she thought. Supposing that, compared to them, we're just... You're too close to the castle, snapped Perdita. You're thinking cow thoughts. Then Agnes realised that there was a squad of men marching behind the carts. They didn't look at all like the carts' drivers. And these, said Perdita, are the cattle prods. They had uniforms of a sort, with the black and white crest of the magpiers. But they weren't a body of men that looked smart in a uniform. They looked very much like men who killed other people for money. And not even for a lot of money. They looked, in short, like men who'd cheerfully eat a puppy sandwich. Several of them leered at Agnes when they went past. But it was only a generic leer that was simply leered on the basis that she had a dress on. More wagons came up behind them. 
Nanny Og says you must take him by the foreskin, Agnes said, and darted forward as the last wagon rumbled past. She does? I'm afraid so. You get used to it. She caught the back of the cart and pulled herself up, beckoning him hastily to follow. Are you trying to impress me? he said as she hauled him on board. Not you, she said, and realised at this point that what she was sitting on was a coffin. There were two of them in the back of the cart, packed around with straw. Are they, uh, moving the furniture in? said Oates. Er, uh, I think it might be occupied, said Agnes. She almost shrieked when he removed the lid. The coffin was empty. You idiot! Supposing there was someone in there! Vampires are weak during the day. Everyone knows that, said Oates reproachfully. I can feel them here somewhere, said Agnes. The rattling of the cart changed as it rumbled onto the cobblestones of the courtyard. Er, uh, get off the other one and I'll have a look. But supposing... He pushed her off and raised the lid before she could protest further. No, no vampire in there either, he said. Supposing one had just reached out and grabbed you by the throat? Om is my shield, said Oates. Really? That's nice. You may chortle. I didn't chortle. You can if you want to, but I'm sure we are doing the right thing. Did not Sonaton defeat the beast of Bartrigore in its very cave? I don't know. He did. And didn't the prophet, um, Erjure vanquish the dragon of Sluth on the plain of Gidral after three days' fighting? I don't know that we've got that much time. And wasn't it true that the sons of Exequiel beat the hosts of Mirilom? Yes. Uh, you've heard of that? No. Listen, we've stopped. I don't particularly want us to be found, do you? Not right now. And not by those guards. They didn't look nice men at all. They exchanged a meaningful glance over the coffins concerning a certain inevitability about the immediate future. They'll notice they're heavier, won't they? said Oates. Those people driving the carts didn't look as though they noticed anything very much. Agnes stared at the coffin beside her. There was some dirt in the bottom, but it was otherwise quite clean and had a pillow at the head end. There were also some side pockets in the lining. It's the easiest way in, she said. You get into this one, I'll get into that one. And look... Those people you just told me about, were they real historical characters? Certainly. They, well, don't try to imitate them yet, all right. Otherwise you'll be a historical character too. She shut the lid and still felt there was a vampire around. Her hand touched the side pocket. There was something soft yet spiky in there. Her fingers explored it in fascinated horror and discovered it to be a ball of wool with a couple of long knitting needles stuck through it, suggesting either a very domesticated form of voodoo or that someone was knitting a sock. Who knitted socks in a coffin? On the other hand, perhaps even vampires couldn't sleep sometimes and tossed and turned all day. She braced herself as the coffin was picked up and tried to occupy her mind by working out where it was being taken. She heard the sound of footsteps on the cobbles and then the ring of the flagstones on the main steps echoing in the great hall. A sudden dip... That meant the cellars. Logical, really, but not good. You're doing this to impress me, said Perdita. You're doing it to try to be extrovert and dynamic. Shut up, Agnes thought. A voice outside said, Put them down there and push off. That was the one who called himself Igor. Agnes wished she'd thought of a weapon. Get rid of me, would they? 
the voice went on against a background of disappearing footsteps. This is all going to end in tears. It's all very well for them, but who has to go and sweep up the dust, eh? That's what I'd like to know. Who's it has to pull their heads out of the pickle jars? Who's it has to find them under the ice? I must have put out more steaks than I've had Wrigley dinners. Light flooded in as the coffin lid was removed. Igor stared at Agnes. Agnes stared at Igor. Igor unfroze first. He smiled. He had a geometrically interesting smile because of the row of stitches right across it, and said, Dear me, someone's been listening to too many stories. Got any garlic? Masses, Agnes lied. Won't work. Any holy water? Gallons. It... A coffin lid smacked down on Igor's head, making an oddly metallic sound. He reached up slowly to rub the spot and then turned around. This time, the lid smacked into his face. Oh, shit, he said, and folded up. Oats appeared, face aglow with adrenaline and righteousness. I smote him mightily. Good, good, let's get out of here. Help me up. My wrath descended upon him like... It was a heavy lid and he's not that young, said Agnes. Look, I used to play down here. I know how to get to the back stairs. He's not a vampire. He looks like one. First time I've ever seen a patchwork man. He's a servant. Now please come, Agnes paused. Can you make holy water? What? Uh, here? I mean, bless it or dedicate it to Om or boil the hell out of it, perhaps, said Agnes. There is a small ceremony I can... He stopped. That's right. Vampires can be stopped by holy water. Good. We'll go by the kitchens then. The huge kitchens were almost empty. They never bustled these days, since the royal couple were not the sort who demanded three meat courses with every meal, and at the moment there was only Mrs. Scorbick, the cook in there, calmly rolling out pastry. Afternoon, Mrs. Scorbick, said Agnes, deciding the best course was to march past and rely on the authority of the pointy hat. We've just dropped in for some water, don't worry. I know where the pump is, but if you've got a couple of empty bottles, that would be helpful. That's right, dear, said Mrs. Scorbick. Agnes stopped and turned. Mrs. Scorbick was famously acerbic, especially on the subject of soya, nut cutlets, vegetarian meals, and any vegetable that couldn't be boiled until it was yellow. Even the king hesitated to set foot in her kitchen, but whereas he only got an angry silence, lesser mortals got the full force of her generalised wrath. Mrs Scorbick was permanently angry, in the same way that mountains are permanently large. Today she was wearing a white dress, a white apron, a big white mob cap, and a white bandage around her throat. She also looked, for want of any better word, happy. Agnes urgently waved oats towards the pump. Find something to fill up, she hissed, and then said brightly, How are you feeling, Mrs Scorbick? All the better for you asking, miss. I expect you're busy with all these visitors. Yes, miss, Agnes coughed. And uh, what did you give them for breakfast? The cook's huge pink brow wrinkled. Can't remember, miss. Well done. Oates nudged her. I've uh, filled up a couple of empty bottles, and I said the purification rite of Om over them. And will that work? You must have faith. The cook was watching them amiably. 
Thank you, Mrs. Scorbick, said Agnes. Please get on with, uh, whatever you were doing. Yes, miss. The cook turned back to her rolling pin. Plenty of meals on her, said Perdita. Cook and lard are all in one. That was tasteless, said Agnes. What was? said the priest. Oh, just a thought I had. Let's go up the back stairs. They were bare stone, communicating with the public bits of the keep, via a door at every level. On the other side of those doors it was still bare stone, but a better class of masonry altogether, and with tapestries and carpets. Agnes pushed open a door. A couple of uberworld people were ambling along the corridor beyond, carrying something covered in a cloth. They didn't spare the newcomers a glance, as Agnes led the way to the royal apartments. Magrat was standing on a chair when they came in. She looked down at them while little painted wooden stars and animals tangled themselves around her upraised arm. "'Wretched things,' she said. "'You'd think it would be easy, wouldn't you? "'Hello, Agnes. Could you hold the chair?' "'What you doing?' said Agnes. She looked carefully. There was no bandage around Magrat's neck. "'Trying to hook this mobile onto the chandelier.' said Magret. Ah, that's done it. But it tangles up all the time. Verant said it's very good for young children to see lots of bright colours and shapes. It speeds development, he says, but I can't find Millie anywhere. There's a castle full of vampires and she's decorating the playroom, said Perdita. What's wrong with this woodcut? Somehow Agnes couldn't bring herself to blurt out a warning. Apart from anything else, the chair looked wobbly. "'Little Esme's only two weeks old,' said Agnes. "'Isn't that a bit young for education?' "'Never too early to start,' he says. "'What can I do for you?' "'We need you to come with us. Right now.' "'Why?' said Magrat, and to Agnes's relief she stepped down from the chair. "'Why, Magrat? There's vampires in the castle. "'The Magpier family are vampires.' "'Don't be silly, they're very pleasant people. "'I was talking to the Countess only this morning.' "'What about?' Agnes demanded. "'I bet you can't remember.' "'I am Queen, Agnes,' said Magrat reproachfully. "'Sorry, but they affect people's minds.' "'Yours?' "'Um, no, not mine. "'I have, I'm, it, er, uh, it seems I'm immune,' Agnes lied. "'And his?' said Magrat sharply. "'I am protected by my faith in Om,' said Oates. Magrat raised her eyebrows at Agnes. Is he? Agnes shrugged. Apparently. Magrat leaned closer. He's not drunk, is he? He's holding two beer bottles. They're full of holy water, Agnes whispered. Verence said Omnianism seemed a very sensible and stable religion, hissed Magrat. They both looked at Oates, mentally trying the words on him for size. Are we, um, leaving, he said. "'Of course not,' snapped Magrat, straightening up. "'This is silly, Agnes. I'm a married woman. I'm queen. "'I've got a little baby, and you come in here telling me we've got vampires. "'I've got guests here, and... "'The guests are vampires, Your Majesty,' said Agnes. "'The king invited them. "'Verence says we have to learn to deal with all sorts of people. "'We think Granny Weatherwax is in very bad trouble,' said Agnes. "'Magrat stopped.' How bad, she said. Nanny Og is very worried, quite snappish. She says it needs three of us to find Granny. Well, I, um... And Granny's taken the box, whatever that means, said Agnes. The one she keeps in the dresser? Yes, Nanny wouldn't tell me much about what was in it. Magrat opened up her hands like an angler measuring a medium-sized fish. 
the polished wooden box about this size. I don't know, I've never seen it. Nanny seemed to think it was important. She didn't say what was in it, Agnes repeated, just in case Magrat hadn't got the hint. Magrat clasped her hands together and looked down, biting her knuckles. When she looked up, her face was set with purpose. She pointed at Oates. You, find a bag or something and empty into it all the stuff in the top drawer over there and take the potty and the little truck, oh, and, and the stuffed animals and the bag of nappies and the bag for used nappies and the bath and the bag with the towels and the box of toys and the wind-up things and the musical box and the bag with the little suits in, oh, and the woolly hat and, and you, Agnes, find something we can make into a sling. You came up the back stairs, we'll go down the same way. What do we need a sling for? Magrat leaned over the crib and picked up the baby, wrapped in a blanket. "'I'm not going to leave her here, am I?' she said. There was a clatter from the direction of mightily oats. He already had both arms full and a large stuffed rabbit in his teeth. "'Do we need all of that?' said Agnes. "'You never know,' said Magrat. "'Even the box of toys?' "'Verence thinks she might be an early developer,' said Magrat. "'She's a couple of weeks old.' Yes, but stimulus at an early age is vital to the development of the growing brain, said Magrat, laying baby Esme on the table and shuffling her into a romper suit. Also, we have to get on top of her hand-eye coordination as soon as possible. It's no good just letting things slide. Oh, yes, if you can bring the little slide, too, and the yellow rubber duck, and the sponge in the shape of a teddy bear, and the teddy bear in the shape of a sponge... There was another crash from the mound around Oates. "'Why is the box so important?' said Agnes. "'Not important as such,' said Magrat. She looked over her shoulder. "'Oh, and put in that rag doll, will you? I'm sure she's focusing on it. Oh, blast! The red bag has got the medicines in it. Thank you. Er, uh, what was it you asked me?' "'Granny's box,' Agnes hinted. "'Oh, it's just important to her.' "'It's magical?' What? Uh, oh no, not as far as I know, but everything in it belongs to her, you see, not to the cottage, said Magrat, picking up her daughter. Who's a good girl then you are? She looked around. Have we forgotten anything? Oates spat out the rabbit. Possibly the uh, ceiling, he said. Then let's go. Magpies flocked around the castle tower. Most magpie rhymes peter out at around ten or twelve, but here were hundreds of birds, enough to satisfy any possible prediction. There are many rhymes about magpies, but none of them is very reliable because they are not the ones the magpies know themselves. The Count sat in the darkness below, listening to their minds. Images flashed behind his eyes. This was the way to run a country, he reflected. Human minds were so hard to read, unless they were so close that you could see the words just hovering below actual vocalisation. But the birds could get everywhere, see every worker in the fields and hunter in the forest. They were good listeners, too, much better than bats or rats. Once again, tradition was overturned. No sign of Granny, though. Some trick, perhaps. It didn't matter. Eventually she'd find him. She wouldn't hide for long. It wasn't in her nature. Weatherwaxes would always stand and fight, even when they knew they would be beaten. So predictable. Several of the birds had seen a busy little figure trudging across the kingdom, leading a donkey laden with falconry gear. The Count had taken a look at Hodges' arg, found a mind crammed end to end with hawks, and dismissed him. He and his silly birds would have to go eventually, of course, because he made the magpies nervous. He made a note to mention this to the guards. 
But there was probably no combination of vowels that could do justice to the cry Nanny Og made on seeing a young baby. It included sounds only known to cats. Isn't she a little precious? Nanny crooned. I've probably got a sweetie somewhere. She's not on solids, said Magrat. Still keeping you up at nights and days, but she slept well today, thank goodness. Nanny, give her to Mr. Oates and let's sort this out right away. The young priest took the baby nervously, holding it, as some men do, as if it would break or at least explode. There, 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 he said vaguely. Now, what's this about Granny? said Magrat. They told her, interrupting one another at important bits. The gnarly ground over towards the top of the forest, said Magrat when they were nearly finished. That's right, said Nanny. What is gnarly ground? said Agnes. There's a lot of magic in these mountains, right, said Nanny, and everyone knows mountains get made when lumps of land bang together, right? Well, when the magic gets trapped, you you sort of get a bit of land where the space is sort of scrunched up, right? It'd be quite big if it could, but it's like a bit of gnarly wood in an old tree. Or a used hanky, all folded up small, but still big in a different way. But I've been up there and it's just a bit of moorland. You've got to know the right direction, said Nanny. Damn hard to scry in a place like that. It goes all wobbly. It's like trying to look at something close up and a long way away at the same time. It makes your crystal ball water. She pulled the green ball towards her. Now you two push and I'll steer. Um, are you going to do some magic? said Oates behind them. What's the problem? said Nanny. I mean, does it involve, um... He coloured up. Um... Removing your garments and dancing around and, um, summoning lewd and salacious creatures. Only I'm afraid I couldn't be a party to that. The Book of Om forbids consorting with, um, false enchanters and deceitful soothsayers, you see. I wouldn't consort with false enchanters neither, said Nanny. Their beards fall off. We're real, said Magrat. And we certainly don't summon lewd and salacious creatures, said Agnes. Unless we want to said Nanny Og, almost under her breath. Well, um, all right then, said Oates. As they unwound the power, Agnes heard Perdita think, I don't like Magrat. She's not like she used to be. Well, of course she's not. But she's taking charge. She's not cringing slightly like she used to. She's not wet. That's because she's a mother, Agnes thought. Mothers are only slightly damp. She was not herself hugely in favour of motherhood in general, Obviously it was necessary, but it wasn't exactly difficult. Even cats managed it. But women acted as if they'd been given a medal that entitled them to boss people around. It was as if just because they'd got the label which said mother, everyone else got a tiny part of the label that said child. She gave a mental shrug and concentrated on the craft in hand. Light grew and faded inside the green globe. Agnes had only scried a few times before, but she didn't remember the light pulsing like this. Every time it dissolved into an image, the light flickered and bounced to somewhere else. A patch of heather, a tree, boiling clouds. And then Granny Weatherwax came and went. The image appeared and was gone in an instant, and the glow that rolled in with a finality told Agnes that this was all, folks. She was lying down, said Magrat. It was all fuzzy. 
Then she's in one of the caves. She said once she goes up there to be alone with her thoughts, said Nanny. And did you catch that little twitch? She's trying to keep us out. The caves up there are just scoops in the rock, said Agnes. Yes and no, said Nanny. Did I see her holding a card in her hands? The I ain't dead card, said Magrat. No, she'd left that in the cottage. Just when we really need her, she goes away into a cave. Does she know we need her? Did she know about the vampires, said Agnes. Can't we go and ask her, said Magrat. We can't fly all the way, said Nanny, scratching her chin. Can't fly properly over gnarly ground. The broomsticks act funny. Then we'll walk the rest, said Magrat. It's ours to sunset. You're not coming, are you? said Agnes, aghast. Yes, of course. But what about the baby? She seems to like it in the sling, and it keeps her warm, and it's not as if there's monsters up there, said Magrat. Anyway, I think it's possible to combine motherhood and a career. I thought you'd given up witchcraft, said Agnes. Yes, well, yes, let's make sure Granny's all right and get this sorted out, and then obviously I'll have other things to do. But it could be dangerous, said Agnes. Don't you think so, Nanny? Nanny Og turned her chair and looked at the baby. Coochie, coochie, she said. The small head looked around and Esme opened her blue eyes. Nanny Og stared thoughtfully. Take her with us, she said at last. I used to take our Jason everywhere when he was tiny. They like being with the mum. She gave the baby another long, hard look. Yes, she went on. I think that'd be a damn good idea. Um, I feel perhaps there is a little that I'd, um, be able to do, Oates said. Oh, it'd be too dangerous to take you, said Nanny dismissively. But of course, my prayers will go with you. That's nice, Nanny sniffed. Drizzling rain soaked Hodges' arg as he trudged back to the castle. The damp had got into the lure, and the noise it made now could only attract some strange lost creature skulking in ancient estuaries, or possibly a sheep with a very sore throat. And then he heard the chattering of magpies. He tied the donkey to a sapling and stepped out into a clearing. The birds were screaming in the trees around him, but erupted away at the sight of King Henry on her perch on the donkey. Crouched against a mossy rock was a small magpie. It was bedraggled and wrong, as if put together by someone who had seen one but didn't know how it was supposed to work. It struggled when it saw him. There was a fluffing of feathers, and now a smaller version of King Henry was trying to unfold its tattered wings. He backed away. On her perch, the hooded eagle had its head turned to the strange bird, which was now a pigeon, a thrush, a wren. A sudden intimation of doom made Hodgesarg cover his eyes, but he saw the flash through the skin of his fingers, felt the thump of the flame, and smelled the scorched hairs on the back of his hand. A few tufts of grass smouldered on the edge of a circle of scorched earth. Inside it, a few pathetic bones glowed red-hot, and then crumbled into fine ash. Away in the forest, the magpies screamed. Count Magpier stirred in the darkness of his room and opened his eyes. The pupils widened to take in more light. "'I think she has gone to ground,' he said. "'That was remarkably quick,' said the Countess. "'I thought you said she was quite powerful.' "'Oh, indeed, but human, and she's getting older.' With age comes doubt. 
It's so simple. All alone in that barren cottage, no company but the candlelight. It's so simple to open up all the little cracks and let her mind turn in on itself. It's like watching a forest fire when the wind changes and suddenly it's roaring down on all the houses you thought were built so strongly. So graphically put. Thank you. You were so successful in escrow, I know. A model for the future. Vampires and humans in harmony at last. There is no need for this animosity, just as I have always said. The Countess walked over to the window and gingerly pulled aside the curtain. Despite the overcast sky, grey light filtered in. There's no requirement to be so cautious about this, either, said her husband, coming up behind her and jerking the curtain aside. The Countess shuddered and turned her face away. You see? Still harmless. Every day and every way we get better and better, said Count Magpier cheerfully. Self-help, positive thinking, training, familiarity. Garlic, <laughs> a pleasant seasoning. Lemons, merely an acquired taste. Why, yesterday I mislaid a sock and <laughs> I simply don't care. I have lots of socks. Extra socks can be arranged. His smile faded when he saw his wife's expression. The word but is on the tip of your tongue, he said flatly. I was just going to say that there were no witches in escrow, and the place is all the better for it. Of course, but there you go again, my dear. There is no room for but in our vocabulary. Verence was right, oddly enough. There's a new world coming, and there won't be any room in it for those ghastly little gnomes or, or witches or centaurs, and especially not for the firebirds. Away with them. Let us progress. They are unfitted for survival. You only wounded that phoenix, though. My point exactly. It allowed itself to be hurt, and therefore extinction looms. No, my dear, if we won't fade with the old world, we must make shift in the new... Witches? Ha! I'm afraid witches are all in the past now. The broomsticks in the present landed just above the tree line, on the edge of the moor. As Agnes had said, it was barely big enough to deserve the term. She could even hear the little mountain brook at the far end. I can't see anything gnarly looking, said Agnes. She knew it was a stupid thing to say, but the presence of Magrat was getting on her nerves. Nanny looked up at the sky. The other two followed her gaze. "'You've got to get your eye in, but you'll see it if you watch,' she said. "'You can only see it if you stands on the moor.' Agnes squinted at the overcast. "'Oh, I think I can,' said Magrat. "'I bet she doesn't,' said Perdita. "'Oh, I can't.' And then Agnes did. It was tricky to spot, like a join between two sheets of glass— and it seemed to move away whenever she was certain she could see it. But there was an inconsistency flickering in and out on the edge of vision. Nanny licked a finger and held it up to the wind. Then she pointed. This way, and shut your eyes. There's no path, said Magret. That's right, you hold on to my hand. Agnes will hold on to yours. I've been this way a few times. It ain't hard. It's like a children's story, said Agnes. Yes, we're down to the bowl now, all right, said Nanny. And off we go. Agnes felt the heather brush her feet as she stepped forward. She opened her eyes. Moorland stretched away on every side, even behind them. The air was darker, the clouds heavier, the wind sharper. The mountains looked a long way away. There was a distant thunder of water. "'Where are we now?' said Magrat. 
Still here, said Nanny. I remember me dad saying sometimes a deer or something would run into a gnarly ground if it was being hunted. It'd have to be pretty desperate, said Agnes. The heather was darker here and scratched so much it was almost thorny. Everything's so nasty-looking. Attitude plays a part, said Nanny. She tapped something with her foot. It was, well, it had been a standing stone, Agnes thought, but now it was a lying stone. Lichen grew thickly all over it. The marker! Hard to get out again if you don't know about it, said Nanny. Let's head for the mountains. Esme all wrapped up, my grat? Little Esme, I mean. She's asleep. Yeah, said Nanny, in what Agnes thought was an odd tone of voice. Just as well, really. Let's go. Oh, I thought we might need these. She fumbled in the bottomless storeroom of her knicker leg and produced a couple of pairs of socks so thick they could have stood up by themselves. Lankra wool, she said. Our Jason knits them of an evening, and you know what strong fingers he's got. You could kick your way through a wall. The heather ripped fruitlessly at the wire-like wool as the women hurried over the moor. There was still a sun here, or at least a bright spot in the overcast, but darkness seemed to come up from beneath the ground. Agnes, said Perdita's voice in the privacy of her shared brain. What? thought Agnes. Nanny's worried about something to do with the baby and Granny. Have you noticed? Agnes thought. I know Nanny keeps looking at little Esme as if she's trying to make up her mind about something, if that's what you mean. Well, I think it's to do with the borrowing. She thinks Granny's using the baby to keep an eye on us. I don't know, but something's happening. The roar ahead grew louder. There's a little stream, isn't there? said Agnes. That's right, said Nanny. Just here. The moor fell away. They stared into the abyss, which didn't stare back. It was huge. White water was just visible far below. Cold, damp air blew past their faces. That can't be right, said Magrat. That's wider and deeper than Lancre Gorge. Agnes looked down into the mist. It's a couple of feet deep, Perdita told her. I can see every pebble. Perdita thinks it's, uh, well, an optical illusion, Agnes said aloud. She could be right, said Nanny. Gnarly ground, see, bigger on the inside. Magrat picked up a rock and tossed it in. It bounced off the wall a few times, tumbling end over end, and then nothing was left but a stony echo. The river was too far down even to see the splash. It's very realistic, isn't it? she said weakly. We could use the bridge, said Nanny, pointing. They regarded the bridge. It had a certain negative quality. That is to say, while it was possible at the limits of probability that if they tried to cross the chasm by walking out over thin air, this might just work, because of sudden updrafts or air molecules suddenly all having a crazy idea at the same time, trying to do the same thing via the bridge would clearly be laughable. There was no mortar in it. The pillars had been piled up out of rocks laid like a dry stone wall, and then a series of big, flat stones dropped across the top. The result would have been called primitive even by people who were too primitive to have a word yet for primitive. It creaked ominously in the wind. They could hear stone grind against stone. "'That's not right,' said Magrat. "'It wouldn't stand up to a gale.' "'It wouldn't stand up to a dead calm,' said Agnes. "'I don't think it's really real.' "'Ah, I can see where that'd make crossing it a bit tricky, then,' said Nanny. "'It's just a slab laid over a ditch,' Perdita insisted. "'I could cartwheel over it.' Agnes blinked. 
"'Oh, I understand,' she said. "'This is some sort of test, is it? "'It is, isn't it? "'We're worried, so fear makes it a deep gorge. "'Perdita's always confident, so she hardly notices it.' "'I'd like to notice it's there,' said Magrat. "'It's a bridge.' "'We're wasting time,' said Agnes. "'She strode out over the slabs of stone and stopped halfway. "'Rocks a bit, but it's not too bad,' she called back. "'You just have to...' "'The slab shifted under her and tipped her off. "'She flung out her hands and caught the edge of the stone by sheer luck. "'But, strong though her fingers were, "'a lot of Agnes was penduluming underneath. "'She looked down. "'She didn't want to, but it was a direction occupying a lot of the world.' "'The water's about a foot below you, it really is,' said Perdita. "'All you have to do is drop, and you'd be good at that.' "'Agnes looked down again. "'The drop was so long that probably no one would hear the splash. "'It didn't just look deep. It felt deep. "'Clammy air rose around her. "'She could feel the sucking emptiness under her feet. "'Margrat threw a stone down there,' she hissed. "'Yes, and I saw it fall a few inches.' "'Now I'm lying flat,' "'And Magrat's holding on to me legs,' said Nanny Og, conversationally, right above her. "'I'm going to grab your wrists, and, you know, I reckon if you swings a little sideways, "'you ought to get your foot on one of the stone pillars, and you'll be right as ninepence.' "'You don't have to talk to me as if I'm some kind of frightened idiot,' snapped Agnes. "'Just trying to be pleasant.' "'I can't move my hands. Yes, you can. See, I've got your arm now.' "'I can't move my hands. Don't rush. We've got all day,' said Nanny, "'whenever you're ready.' Agnes hung for a while. She couldn't even sense her hands now. That presumably meant that she wouldn't feel it when her grip slipped. The stones groaned. "'Er, uh, Nanny? Yep. Can you talk to me a bit more as if I'm some kind of frightened idiot?' "'Okay. Er, uh, why do they say writers ninepence as opposed to, say, tenpence?' "'Interesting. Maybe it's... And can you speak up? "'Perdita's shouting at me that if I drop 18 inches "'I'll be standing in the stream. "'Do you think she's right? "'Not about the 18 inches?' "'The bridge creaked. "'People seldom are,' said Nanny. "'Are you getting anywhere, dear? "'Only I can't lift you up, you see. "'My arms are going numb too. "'I can't reach the pillar. "'Then let go,' said Magrat from somewhere behind Nanny. "'Magrat!' snapped Nanny. "'Well, perhaps it is only a little stream to Perdita. "'Gnarly ground can be two things at the same time, can't it? "'So if that's how she sees it, well, can't you let her get on with it? "'Let her sort it out. Can't you let her take over? "'She only does that when I'm really under stress. Shut up!' "'I only... no, not her, you. Oh, no!' "'Her left hand, white and almost numb, pulled itself off the stone and out of Nanny's grip.' "'Don't let her do this to us!' Agnes shrieked. "'I'll fall hundreds of feet onto sharp rocks!' "'Yes, but since you're going to do that anyway, "'anything's worth a try, isn't it?' said Nanny. "'I should shut your eyes if I was you.' The right hand came loose. Agnes shut her eyes. She fell. Perdita opened her eyes. She was standing in the stream. "'Damn!' And Agnes would never say damn, which was why Perdita did so at every suitable occasion. She reached up to the slab just above her, got a grip, and hauled herself up. Then, catching sight of Nanny Og's expression, she jerked her hands around into a new position and kicked her legs up. That stupid Agnes never realises how strong she is, Perdita thought. There's all these muscles she's afraid of using. She pushed gently until her toes pointed at the sky, and she was doing a handstand on the edge. 
The effect, she felt, was spoilt by her skirt falling over her eyes. "'You've still got that tear in your knickers,' said Nanny sharply. Perdita flicked herself onto her feet. Magrat had her eyes tight shut. "'She didn't do a handstand on the edge, did she?' "'She did,' said Nanny. "'Now then, Agnes, uh, Perdita, stop that showing off. "'We've wasted too much time. "'Let Agnes have the body back. "'You know it's hers, really.' Perdita did a cartwheel. "'This body's wasted on her,' she said, "'and you should see the stuff she eats. "'Do you know she's still got two shelves full of soft toys and dolls? "'And she wonders why she can't get along with boys.' "'Nothing like being stared at by a teddy bear "'to put a young man off his stroke,' said Nanny Og. "'Remember old Mrs. Sleeves, Magrat? "'Used to need two of us when she had one of her nasty turns.' "'What's that got to do with toys?' said Perdita suspiciously. "'And what's it got... "'Oh, yes,' said Magrat. "'Now, I recall that old bell-ringer down in O'Hewlin,' "'said Nanny, leading the way.' He had no fewer than seven personalities in his head. Three of them were women and four of them were men. Poor old chap. He said he was always the odd one out. He said they let him get on with all the work and the breathing and eating, and they had all the fun, remember? He said it was hellish when he had a drink and they all started fighting for a taste bud. Sometimes he couldn't hear himself think in his own head, he said. Now, now, now. Agnes opened her eyes. Her jaw hurt. Nanny Og was peering at her closely while rubbing some feeling back into her wrist. From a couple of inches away, her face looked like a friendly pile of elderly laundry. "'Yes, that's Agnes,' she said, standing back. "'Her face goes sharper when it's the other one. See? I told you she'd be the one that came back. She's got more practice.' Magrat let go of her arms. Agnes rubbed her chin. "'That hurt,' she said reproachfully. "'Just a bit of tough love,' said Nanny. "'Can't have that Perdita running around at a time like this.' "'You just sort of grabbed the bridge and came right back up,' said Magrat. "'I felt her stand on the ground,' said Agnes. "'And that too, then,' said Nanny. "'Come on, not far now, sometimes. "'And let's just take it easy, shall we? "'Some of us might have further to fall than others.' "'They edged forward, despite an increasingly insistent voice in Agnes's head "'that kept telling her she was being a stupid coward, "'and of course she wouldn't be hurt.' She tried to ignore it. The caves that Agnes remembered hadn't been much more than rock overhangs. These were caverns. The difference is basically one of rugged and poetic grandeur. These had a lot of both. "'Gnarly ground's a bit like icebergs,' said Nanny, leading them up a little gully to one of the largest. Nine-tenths of it is underwater,' said Agnes, her chin still hurt. "'There's more to it than meets the eye, I mean.' "'There's someone there,' said Magret. "'Oh, that's the witch,' said Nanny. "'She's not a problem.' Light from the entrance fell on a hunched figure sitting among pools of water. Closer to, it looked like a statue, and perhaps not quite as human as the eye at first suggested. Water glistened on it, drops formed on the end of a long hooked nose, and fell into a pool with the occasional plink. "'I come up here with the young wizard once when I was a girl,' said Nanny. "'He liked nothing so much as bashing rocks with his little hammer. "'Well, almost nothing,' she added with a smile towards the past and then a happy sigh. "'He said the witch was just a lot of old stuff from the rocks left here by the water dripping. "'But my granny said it was a witch that sat up here to think about some big spell, "'and she turned to stone. "'Personally, I keep an open mind.' "'It's a long way to bring someone,' said Agnes.' 
Oh, well, there was a lot of us kids at home, and it was raining a lot, and you need a lot of privacy for really good uh, geology, said Nanny vaguely. I think his hammer's still around here somewhere. He quite forgot about it after a while. Mind how you tread, the rocks is very slippery. How's young Esme doing, Magrat? Oh, gurgling away. I'll have to feed her soon. We've got to look after her, said Nanny. Well, yes, of course. Nanny clapped her hands together and pulled them apart gently. The glow between them wasn't the showy light that wizards made, but a grainy graveyard glimmer. It was just enough to ensure that no one fell down a hole. Probably some dwarfs in a place like this, said Magrat as they picked their way along a tunnel. Shouldn't think so. They don't like places that don't stay the same. No one comes up here now but animals and Granny when she wants to be alone with her thoughts. And you, when you were banging rocks, said Magrat. Ha! But it was different then. There was flowers on the moor, and the bridge was just stepping stones. That's cos I was in love. You mean it really does change because of the way you feel, said Agnes. You spotted it. It's amazing how high and rocky the bridge can be if you're in a bad mood. I know that. I wonder how high it was for Granny then. Probably clouds could go underneath, girl. Nanny stopped where the path forked and then pointed. I reckon she's gone this way. Hold on. She thrust out an arm. Stone groaned and a slab of roof thudded down, throwing up spray and pebbles. So we'll just have to climb over this bit then, Nanny went on in the same matter-of-fact tone of voice. Something's trying to push us out, said Agnes. But it won't, said Nanny, and I don't think it'll harm us. That was a big slab, said Agnes. Yeah, but it missed us, didn't it? There was an underground river further on, sheer white water blurred with speed. It poured around and almost over a dam of driftwood, topped by an inviting long log. "'Look, this isn't safe for the baby,' said Agnes. "'Do you both see that? You're her mother, Magrat.' "'Yes, I know. I was there,' said Magrat with infuriating calm. "'But this doesn't feel unsafe. Granny's here somewhere.' "'That's right,' said Nanny. "'Really close now, I think.' "'Yes, but she can't control rivers and rocks,' Agnes began. "'Here? Dunno. Very responsive place, this.' They inched their way across the log, passing the baby from one to the other. Agnes leaned against the stone wall. "'How much further?' "'Well, technically, a few inches,' said Nanny. "'That's helpful to know, isn't it?' "'Is it just me?' said Magrat. "'Or is it getting warmer?' Now that, said Agnes, pointing ahead, I don't believe. At the end of a slope, a crevasse had opened in the rock. Red light spilled out. As they stared at it, a ball of flame rolled up and burst across the ceiling. Oh, dearie, dearie me, said Nanny, who had taken a turn to carry the baby, and it's not even as if there's any volcanoes anywhere near here. What can she be thinking? She headed purposely towards the fire. "'Careful!' Agnes shouted. "'Perdita says it's real.' "'What's that got to do with the price of fish?' said Nanny, and stepped into the fire. The flames snapped out. The other two stood in the chilly, damp gloom. Magrat shuddered. "'Nanny, you are carrying the baby.' "'The harm you come to here is what you brings with you,' said Nanny, "'and it's Granny's thoughts that are shaping this place. "'But she wouldn't raise a hand to a child. "'Couldn't do it. Hasn't got it in her.' "'This place is reacting to what she's thinking,' said Agnes. "'I reckon so,' said Nanny, setting off again. 
I'd hate to be inside her head. You nearly are, said Nanny. Come on, we've passed the fire. I don't think there'll be anything else. 